jazzguitarlessons.net improve your jazz guitar playing with a real teacher podcast number 13 and I really had wish uh, I wanted to publish this 13th podcast on Friday the 13th but I don't think it's gonna happen because well life is life and we have to be on the schedule so today we're going to talk about two things more 251 tips for improvising um, using pentatonic scales and this is what one quick idea and uh, then I'll let you go and have fun with it, you know, figure it out. And then we're going to talk about technique and how in the same way that in podcast 12 last time I had my little rant about technique, uh, about theory, sorry. Now, exactly, I want to rant about technique today and tell you why technique is good, why it's bad and why what's in the middle and everything through, you know, personal anecdotes, but through other great musicians that I know, anecdotes or story or advice. So let's get started. Okay, so in this podcast 13, it's the fourth time, the fourth podcast that I want to give you 251 tips. The first time in podcast 10, um, I gave tips for, you know, beginners, intermediates, advanced, and I said, you know, try this, try that. Podcast 11, I did the same thing. You know, try to have fun, uh, play on different functions. And in 12, I gave you a way to extend the cycle. So just make sure that you, you can listen to the previous podcast and you know have an idea of what it is. Just make sure that anything and everything I give you can be applied as a crossover. You know, you may use my suggestion today in a crossover of what I gave you last time or vice versa. So let's get started. Simply put, you know what pentatonic scales are? Probably I'm going to do the classic, you know, start to index on the fifth fret of the sixth string and just do the bluesy. That thing. So we're gonna use exactly just that form. Exactly yes, just one form and playing the two five one. So how is that possible? Well, we're gonna use a little trick that's modern that's been around for a while. I don't know where I, I've picked that up, but it's uh, something that a lot of people do, and it sounds nice, especially if you're a beginner or intermediate, and you know how to outline the changes, and you know your third and sevenths and and everything that arpeggios and scales, but you want to add have that spice of modern sound well that's a good trick uh, let me just tell it to you right away how it how simple it is on D minor 7 we're, we're in C right D minor 7 G7 to C major 7 on D minor 7 you're gonna use A minor pentatonic that fifth fret thing on G7 you're gonna use the same shape one fret higher gonna sound like modern like a G7 altered and then finally on the C7 on the C major you're gonna use the shape one more higher so it's gonna be B7 fret so you're gonna sound like C Lydian right because of that note. so I repeat once again the trick on D minor 7 play A minor pentatonic on G7, play B flat minor pentatonic. On C major 7, play B minor pentatonic. So it's A, B flat, B, three frets. So I didn't, I didn't do it in time. I just wanted to, well, I did it sort of in time, but I wanted to give you an idea how nice and modern it can sound with your own things. I mean, you already have your pentatonics probably if you played blues, and you're a guitarist anyway, so you, you need your pentatonics. And 
the idea behind <clears throat> behind the three, you may ask, it's D minor seven. Why would I play A minor pentatonic? I don't want to go into the details now, but do that on your own. Take every note of A minor pentatonic and compare it to the root of the D minor. See what's the function. So that's D root. That's your A. by sound, but do it in analysis also. And then do the same with your G7. And you see that, in fact, you're playing all the altered notes, and that's really nice. And uh, lastly, when you do that on the P, uh, on the C for your B pentatonic, So let me give you a few swinging examples with the metronome. Ready? A one, two, a one, two, three, four. Now blowing. like a little cheap trick but it's not that cheap but I mean it sounds like a little modern trick the idea is that you may balance what you already know with your 251 and your your scales and your arpeggios and everything you've been practicing but once in a while just to you know spice things up you do that pentatonic tricks it's three pentatonic scales they're one fret away and it's super easy to play them but it sounds like you're coming from outer space nice so let's move on now for the second part of this podcast, number 13, I want to talk about technique. Um, you know, why, why not use technique, why use techniques, and how you can use your ears to do that, and everything in between. Uh, so let me be really blunt with you, and that's just advice, and it's just my take on it. But I think that technique is overrated. Yes, I've said it. So let me start with a, a little anecdote about Miles Davis that I got from two sources from two uh, great musicians in Montreal here um, uh, second second musician which I don't unfortunately don't remember his name but at least I, I remember was a really great player anyways so here's a Miles Davis anecdote from Charles Ellison who used to be my teacher in school Charles was present at one of the recordings the plug nickel sessions if you know Miles Davis a little bit you know that they uh, they have the CD, the quartet with Wayne Shorter, um, Ron Carter, Herbie Hancock, and Tony Williams. And they have this thing called Live at the Plug Nickel, right? And it's one of the most weird out 
not accessible jazz that Miles had recorded, and they're still playing just standards, but they play Stella by Starlight, and after 15 seconds, you wonder if they're not playing something else, because everybody's lost, and it's dragging, and it's this, and it's that, and people play over each other, and then the drum stops all of a sudden, it's really weird. And if you don't know that, you can go on the web and check out the complete live at the Plug Nickel. It's like a box set of CDs, and you're gonna die. I mean, this is awful. Uh, but it was a start of a time where this they wanted to to play differently, and they, they started to play against their intuition. Instead of playing beautiful stuff, they played everything wrong in their own mind, and that's what sounded like this. It's some interesting stuff. So Charles Ellison was present at the Plug Nickel sessions, with pro which probably lasted a week at those days. You know, four or five days a week, they'd play four or five sets, and that, that was the Miles Davis band at the Plug Nickel place. The first night Miles Davis, the first two nights Miles Davis was playing, it was a guy sitting at the bar giving Miles shit from, from, the, from the bar. Miles was playing on the bandstand and the guy was swearing at him. You, you know, I, I don't want to swear now, but you prick, uh, you don't know how to play, you don't know how to play your horn, I paid for my ticket, I, I want my money's worth, blah, blah, blah. And Miles was really out of shape. What does that mean technically? Miles was having trouble technically finding the notes that he heard in his mind and executing them perfectly like any musician is aiming to. So the moral of the story is that after two or three nights, Miles got back into shape. That's the story. Why do you think he got back into shape? Do you think Miles Davis sat down playing fast finger patterns for eight hours a day and then suddenly after three days at the plug nickel now you really finally could finish the gig weeks no no the idea is that he trained his ears and fingers to be connected he trained his fingers to to respond to what his ears were telling him and to me that's real technique technique is not physical technique is the physical answering to what you're hearing in your head okay so that's the the story about miles and and the second Miles Davis story for another great Montreal musician, this guy sat at a bar at some point, watched a Miles Davis come either into Montreal or Toronto or, you know, a U.S. city, and he sat beside Miles at the bar and struck a conversation. Lucky guy, right? Hey, Miles, I'm a fan of your music, blah, blah, blah. Uh, here's this and that. And the guy who's a sax player asked Miles Davis, yeah, Miles, Miles Davis, what type of stuff do you practice? And Miles just nodded his head and looked at the stage and he <laughs> answered exactly word for word, I practice on the bandstand. So that's what, what to tell you about technique, right? You don't have to have exceptional chops, at least if you can't have your fingers respond to what you hear and that ties in pretty nicely with what I was saying in the previous in podcast number 12 that there's a problem with learning too much too much theory you kill your own intuition right so that's my Miles Davis anecdotes I have two or three more anecdotes about myself regarding to to technique and the first one I want to talk about is uh you know, technique, yes, you need it. You know, you need to take your pick and be able to strike the right string when you want to do it. But to the point that, uh, you know, at some point I got a book, and I'm sure you can still find it on the web, it's called Monster Chops. And it was, oh, nice, you know, uh, technique and forts and stretches and this and that. And I practiced 
maybe two weeks through the book and I was learning stuff but I realized that most of the things that came up after 10 or 15 seconds of playing I could not predict I could not hear and I could not relate in any way to except physically and I mean that's fine if you're a kind of player that's more um, gymnastics you know playing fast and whatever that's fine it's it's your thing but for me uh, technique if it's only a matter of wiggling fingers and it's only a physical matter you kind of lose me there and if you're attempting to learn jazz and improvisation I think you'd rather work on it in the same way I'm describing here meaning use your ears and stuff so I dropped the monster chops book because you said you know I picked it up in the first place because I'm already a monster sorry to say and no, I'm just kidding. I'm. Um, I wanted to have chops and say yes. You know what's what better way to use chops than to find a book about chops and just practice chops, play fast. You know, play hard stuff. You know, break your wrists and have a tendonitis. That's the way you want to go about it. And fortunately, after a little while, I realized that uh, you don't really need to be practicing technique all the time for technique to flow. You just need to hear it well. And yes, I'm sorry to say, guys. This counts even for fast stuff because I realize that when I do play fast stuff and I told you in the last podcast, I record myself all the time, especially when playing live, I do pull out lines out of thin air and I don't know where they're coming from and I didn't expect and I didn't try to play them fast, but just because I let go and I decided not to be in, um, to have some emotional implications with the line, just let the fingers do what they do and hear and sing along and and sometimes I play stuff fast I've never heard before. I'm like, wow, it was pretty fast. Is it because I've practiced fast? I've practiced this stuff? No, not at all. So you have to change your, your mentality as to what technique does and what it is for you. And for the small percentage of people that are still listening to my ranting, I have even more stuff to say. I have a very personal anecdote right now. I lived that through maybe the last two or three weeks. Um, I had to stop playing guitar, not completely, but almost for many reasons, personal, familial, uh, family, and whatever, for, man, almost six months. And that's a long time, considering that, you know, I was playing for <laughs> more 20 years before that. And um, it was the first time I took that long of a break, and it was such a big deal. But I had a gig, and it went so well. I was so unprepared. Well, I, f I found that I was unprepared and I was thinking that I wasn't prepared. And then I listened to the tape of the gig back and I sent it to the, my bandmates and it sounded really good. And it's not because I was in shape physically, technically, not at all. And yes, I played fast stuff without my knowledge. I practiced maybe five days prior to the gig, maybe an hour each day. That's it, that's all. And when I did practice, I just set the metronome or set a groove or something and just let the ideas come out. You know, roam through some of the tunes I already knew. And at the gig, I just showed up and we played tons of blueses because it's easy to remember. And we played one or two standards and that was it. And we played three sets and it sounded like, well, swinging, very good. That's to show you that the importance of physical training is not as important as it is. As I said at the beginning, technique is overrated. And it's not because I am a jazz legend, far from it. And it's not because, you see, I, I did not practice in six months. How can I be a jazz legend, you know? 
And it's not because I'm naturally gifted in technique, because if I tried to play exercises for you and show them faster to you, I would struggle and I would never be able to play them fast. But that's to show you that if you let yourself go and you can still focus on the things you hear, the fingers will find their way. And that's what shape is all about. And also, you know, every pain that I had in my life, let's say I had a wrist pain or I had this or that, I had to move my complete, completely my apartment and I couldn't practice for a week. Then when I got to playing after that, oh my God, I'm out of shape. But you're not. You listen to your thing. And I was always surprised to find out that when I took breaks, I would sound even better than before the break. And that's, that's funny. And I want to finish with that final thought, just let go. That's my final thought regarding technique. Often a lack of technique or knowledge brings you creativity. The problem is that after you have the knowledge and the technique, you, you will always rely on it. You would rely to the technique or your ears or your, whatever finger patterns you know, but here's the thing you have to do. Lose yourself. Lose yourself in the music. Let go completely. Even if you play a blues and you know what the next chord is and you feel like you want to play it on your fretboard, refrain from playing it and play something else and hear how it sounds against what you already know. That's some sort of letting go and that's some sort of... Uh, you know, shooting yourself in the foot and see how you can get back. Because if you're just playing blues, you always come back to playing stuff, you know, and come back to know where your place is. And that's really, really important to let yourself go and not bother about technique. So imagine, uh, that's another completely other story, but imagine if you took an instrument that you d did not know at all, and the only way you could relate to it was be through sound. Let's say you've never played the piano before and I just start to play with you and say, hey, you improvise on the blues right now and I will play chords for you and you play the piano. The only way you would relate to the piano would be through sounds because you don't know the notes. And that's what I'm talking about. You have to aim for that, for that naive way of approaching the instrument, but on your own instrument, learn everything and then let go. So that's it for podcast number 13. Thank you for listening, guys. I'll see you next time on jazzguitarlessons.net. Improve your jazz guitar playing with a real teacher. Take care.